appreciate appreciate this fact. I really appreciate the fact that our song leaders make an effort to coordinate our worship period by matching the songs that we're singing to the worship theme of the morning, the things that we're going to study together, the things even that we focus on in our prayers. And this morning, Luke has done an excellent job uh, with that and picking out these songs about the wonderful grace of God, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. And the importance of accepting that grace as it was given to us. Someone asked the question, what's the difference between mercy uh, and grace? Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve to get. He showed us mercy. Grace is when God gives us something that we absolutely didn't deserve, but it's wonderful. That's what the cross of Christ is all about. In our scripture reading this morning, Troy was reading to us from Psalm 38. When the psalmist, in his own rejoicing, was acknowledging that there were those who were trying to kill him. And he was struggling with his realities in this life. And one of the things that was constantly in front of him in verse 18, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Sometimes in life, I I don't know how your week has been. I hope you've had a great week. The sun is shining today. The sky is blue. The air is a little warmer uh, today. It's a beautiful day. So many reasons for us to bask in the goodness of God and the riches of his goodness and his grace expressed in Christ. But the, the reality of life under the sun is that in, uh, in spite of all of the beauty of the creation and the wonderful blessings God has given us, there's the other junk of life that comes with life in a sin-cursed world. It started in the garden, and it's been a struggle ever since. And, and so there are problems of every nature, of every kind. There are heartaches. There are sufferings. There are pains. There are diseases. Uh, there's sickness, and there's death. The, the, the fact of the matter is, Christians ought to be the happiest, the most joyful people in all of the world. We ought to be the ones whose lives are, are characteristically uh, peaceful. We, we ought to be the ones who are exuding to the people around us the reality of walking with Christ. But the truth is, sometimes, Sometimes one of the most challenging commands in all of the Bible is that that little statement Paul stuck into the very last part of that Philippian letter when he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Because some days, let's just say, the rejoicing doesn't seem to come naturally. We have to look for it. We have to go finding it deep deep within us. Why why is that? 
Well, part of it is just because sometimes life, life is hard. And, and James acknowledged that when, when he said that we ought to count it all joy. <laughs> there it is again. Count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials. Well, we can look back and, and some of the hard times in our lives now, we can look back and we can say, you know, that was so, as difficult as that was, that was so good for me to go through that. I, I grew a lot during those days. But as we remember those days, it, it's not like we woke up every morning during those days thinking, boy, I'm so glad to be going through this trial. It, it wasn't exactly like that. But the psalmist problem with life wasn't just that life is tough, that sometimes you're sick, that sometimes your toe hurts, uh, that sometimes somebody hurts your feelings, that sometimes uh, <clears throat> you wanted uh, you wanted cornflakes and, and you got rice krispies. So that that that's not what the psalmist is talking about. He said to God, "You remember what we just read, verses seventeen and eighteen." I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Sometimes we're hurting because of our sin. And we're hurting because of the realization of our sin. And we're hurting because of the guilt that we are carrying for our sin. I, I would tell you this morning, that as we talk about the importance of accepting God's grace, one of, one of the things that is self-evident for all of us who are here is that guilt is painful. I'm speaking to Christians, to disciples. I know that you know that or you wouldn't be a Christian. Because in order to be a Christian, you had to come to the cross. In order to come to the cross, you had to acknowledge your lostness in order to find your salvation. Guilt is painful. It started in the garden. After the man and the woman had taken of the fruit and eaten of it, they immediately were overcome with guilt, with, with shame. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They felt the pangs of guilt. And then they heard the voice of God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God. And God called out to them, where are you? Adam said, I was naked and ashamed, and I, I, I hid myself, afraid. God said, who told you? Who told you? What, what was speaking there? What, what, what has changed? Guilt. Guilt was speaking there. Guilt is painful. It was from the very beginning. And, and then in John 16, in verse 8, when Jesus is saying to the disciples, look, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send to you the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And when he's come, he will, what, what is the very first task, the very first objective, the very first purpose of the coming of the Spirit? What is it? He will convict the world of sin. I was thinking this morning, 
as Luke was leading us in these songs, these are songs that, for those of us who are old, that's, that's painful too. For those of us who are old, we look back and we think, uh, those songs, uh, they conjure up a lot of memories. You know, they stir up a lot of nostalgia, memories of, of years gone by. Those hymns that we sang, reminded of particular moments, particular worship periods, particular gospel meetings, particular invitation songs. We're reminded of those things as we're singing those songs about the grace of God. And I was thinking as we were singing that, why are we not so, why are we not so fired up and rejoicing about God's grace, generally speaking, in our culture today? And, And I think part of the reason for that is because we're not so convinced of our lostness today. It's really hard. And Paul said this in Romans chapter 1. He said this to the Jews in so many words. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Well, what's the problem here? I'll tell you what part of the problem was. The Gentiles, those who were coming to Christ, They knew they were lost. That's why Jesus was so sweet for them. The problem for the Jew in Romans chapter 2 was that they had a hard time realizing that they needed a Savior. I mean, it it was like, yeah, I understand you need some grace, brother. It's hard to be grateful for something you don't think you need. In John, the 16th chapter, in verse 8, Jesus said the very first work of the Spirit when He comes is to convict the world of sin. I, w- I want to say something to you. If the Spirit has done His effectual work in your heart, and you have been convicted of sin, and you feel guilty in your soul, the first thing you ought to do is get down on your knees and thank God that you can still discern guilt. That the Spirit can still convict your heart of sin. When Peter preached on Pentecost, what was the very first consequence of his preaching? As he was showing them from the Scripture, that this Jesus whom they had crucified, whom God had raised from the dead, was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. They were, it doesn't say they were rejoicing. They were cut to the heart. Guilt is painful. 
And so the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 11, he said, I, I know when I wrote to you the first time, I, I made you feel that you felt guilt. And, and he said, I know that I made you sorry. And then he said, I am not sorry that I made you feel sorry. In fact, he said, I'm, I'm, rather, I'm rather happy about that because godly sorrow has a purpose. But it doesn't change the fact that it's sorrow. I'm saying to you that guilt is painful. It is difficult. It is heavy. One of the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous things that's happening in our culture is that we're erasing the concept of guilt. And folks, when we erase the concept of guilt, nobody needs salvation anymore. It's very hard to, it is very hard to cultivate a passion for Christ in the heart of an individual who doesn't see himself as lost and needing salvation. There's a place for guilt. Be careful. The psalmist said, my sin is ever before me. You remember in Psalm 53, David said that about his sin with Bathsheba. As he's praying to God, in the psalmist, he's pouring out his heart. He said, I, my, the sin that I committed is ever before me. In Psalm 51 and verse 3. Back in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, David, talking about that same period in his life, <clears throat> David said, when I kept silence, my bones were wasting away all the day long. David said, look, when I was not dealing with this, I was just packing around this guilt over and over. Day after day, I was carrying this. He said, I want to tell you, on the outside, silent. I wasn't saying a word. I wasn't telling anybody. I wasn't talking to God about this. On the inside, on the inside, David said, I was dying. I was what does the ESV say? Groaning all the day long. Groaning is a little bit watered down. The word is roaring like a lion. That's the word. He wasn't just a little moan of pain, you know, like the noises that people after a certain age, the noises they make when they stand up. It wasn't that. This is a roaring of pain. He said, outwardly I was silent, though inwardly, right down to the depth of my bones, I was screaming in pain. Why? Because my sin was ever before me. Psalm 38, Troy read to us, verses 15 through 18. Go back to verse 1 of Psalm 38. It's a beautiful psalm. It is a disturbing psalm. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. You remember what he said in Psalm 32. That he felt the pain of his sin all the way into his bones. Verse 4. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. 
And David is saying, I am completely overwhelmed in guilt. And then verse 5 is not pretty at all. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day long I go about mourning. My sides are filled with burning. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan, I roar, because of the tumult of my heart. Why? Because, verse 18, because I confess my iniquity and my sins are ever before me. I am sorry for my sin. Sin is painful. It's ever before, but what? But what's the problem for Christians? That that's the point. Okay, we get that for the non-Christian. We get that for the person who doesn't know Jesus. But but what about the Christian? What is the problem? What's the problem is somebody's stolen our joy. So some someone has taken away the joy of our salvation. Who is it? You know who it is. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 that Satan goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I, I want to tell you something about your spiritual life. About your spiritual life and about Satan. The first thing I want to tell you is that Satan never wanted you to be a Christian in the first place. And I'll tell you, he... He worked pretty hard to prevent you from becoming a follower of Jesus, a believer in Christ. He he worked pretty hard to make sure that you would not taste the riches of God's goodness that were expressed on Calvary. But, at least for the baptized believers who are here this morning, we, we, we tasted it at some point. And so now, So now Satan didn't just wave the white flag and surrender and say to the Lord, okay, you got that one. Nope. You became a Christian, but he's he's not going to take this sitting down. And now he's coming after you. Now that you are a Christian, he he was not successful in stopping you from becoming a Christian. But now what he wants to do is rob you of the joy of your salvation. What an evil thing. Unthinkable. You see in verse 10 of John chapter 10, when Jesus is is making the distinction between himself, the good shepherd, and then the imposter. And, And he said in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You want to know what the difference is in the way Satan's working in your life and the way the Lord's working in your life? There it is in in one verse. There it is. He came to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus said, I came to give life and not just to eke out just a little bit with a medicine drop. No, I came to give it abundantly. So the Apostle Paul would say, look, let let me tell you about the reality of this. 
Paul said, I, I know about sin. I know about being a sinner. I, I know what sin is all about. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, Paul said, I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful. Now, if you underline things in your Bible or circle things, it is the pronoun me. That's the one. He judged me faithful. Because in Paul's mind, the, the amazing thing, the first thing that comes to his mind, the thing that just knocks his socks off, it is not that, okay, God sent Jesus into the world to execute the eternal scheme of redemption. Okay, that's impressive, and it ought to touch all of our hearts, including Paul's, and it did. But I'll tell you, at the very depth of his soul, I'll tell you what touched him. It's not that God sent Christ into the world to execute the scheme of redemption and save mankind. No, Here, here's the thing that is so amazing. Mark it. He judged me faithful. I'll tell you the truth, folks. Our biggest struggle in, in, in embracing the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, is not that God's going to save those other people. That is not our biggest struggle. The first mountain we have to cross is this one, that God was willing to save even me. Even though, Paul said, formerly, many of them didn't know him before. How many times in a Bible class or a gathering with Christians, somebody has said to you, you, you didn't know me before I became a Christian. You, you, you can't imagine where I've been. You can't imagine how messed up my life was. That's what Paul is saying here. Though formerly, now here's the amazing thing, because God judged me faithful. Though formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. I, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and didn't believe. The grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy. Underline that. The saying is trustworthy, and it is deserving of full acceptance. Not just, yeah. No, it's not just, yeah. It's worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. You know what the problem is? The, the problem is not that God wouldn't 
save me from some of those things that I've done. But there's that one thing in my life that haunts me. And Paul said it comes back over and over and in a sense. I suspect for the Apostle Paul, it was that day when he was holding those cloaks. You know what I'm talking about. The day when all of those people of import and prestige gave their cloaks to the Apostle Paul, who was not an apostle at the time. And he stood there witnessing the martyrdom, the assassination of a man who refused to deny Jesus. And Paul, who was Saul, consented to his death. How do you get over that? And maybe you're sitting there saying, well, we haven't stoned anybody to death. No, I, I suspect that is absolutely correct. We haven't stoned anybody to death. But most of us have that one thing that haunts. Someone says, what, why, why does it? Because in, in part because of, of the consequence of it. I, every single day I'm, I'm, I'm having to face and deal with the consequences of that one thing. And, and I've, I've sought forgiveness and I've prayed about this and I, I became a Christian and I've prayed about it some more and, and, I, and I, I, I just don't know what to do about this because, and let me say something to you, the consequence is not the sin. And the consequence is not the guilt. And do not confuse consequence with unforgiveness. And why is it, may I ask, why is it that we're so willing to ascribe God's integrity, meaning that we're willing to give, give it to God? He's good for his word on everything. He'll forgive all that other stuff except this one thing. Really? Maybe the struggle's not a sin issue. But in reality, maybe what we're really struggling with is a faith issue. When the writer of Hebrews said, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. He wasn't kidding about that. And I want to say to you this morning, without faith, it's impossible to accept the grace of God. And the one who comes to God for salvation, for forgiveness, for the cleansing, for the relief. He must believe. And I just want to say to you, if you're going to give it to God that he's able to forgive all those other people, that he's able to forgive 
the rest of the people at church that he's able to forgive you of all those other sins in your life, then go ahead and ascribe to God the integrity that he's good for his word about that one particular sin. Whatever it is, that one thing that, that you're having, just give it to God that he is good for his word. The writer of Hebrews said it's impossible for God to lie. He's, he's, not just, he's not just making words. If he said it, it's so. If he forgave you, then he did. And so the Apostle Paul said, here's the amazing thing. <laughs> you want to accept the grace of God? Well, on one level, it seems easy enough, doesn't it? But on the personal level, when it has to be applied to that one thing, Paul said, here's what brings us to our knees. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, before you go any further in that passage to get to the part that we really like, I want you to look at that last statement. Christ died. For the ungodly. I don't know how many times I've talked to individuals struggling with guilt. Whose resounding statement was, I, I, I just don't feel worthy of, of forgiveness. I just don't feel like I deserve forgiveness. Oh, I, I've got two things to say about that. Number one, you don't nor do I, nor does anyone. So just table that one. That's a given. The second thing is this. Christ did not die for the deserving. He died for the undeserving. That's what is so amazing about his grace. Someone says, well, it's, it's not logical. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though maybe for a good person, someone would dare to die. No, it's okay. You can say it's not logical from the human perspective. You know that beautiful hymn that was written? Amazing logic, how sweet the sound. We don't sing about the amazing logic. We sing about the amazing grace. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. He made the first move. He offered 
the payment first. He wrote the check. He shed the blood. He's invited us to come. It's ours for the taking. I'll tell you what's illogical. What's illogical is not to take it. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, what a wonderful time for you to embrace the love of God, the grace of God expressed on Calvary. If you've never confessed the name of Jesus and put on the Lord in baptism, you can do that this morning. If you are a child of God, listen to me carefully. If you are a child of God and you're packing around some stuff that should have been left with the Lord a long time ago, do not do the illogical thing. This morning, we have a blessed, wonderful opportunity in the, in, in the presence of one another, disciples of the Lord, to accept the wonderful grace of Jesus. Won't you come while we stand and sing?